from verse 1 through to 22 and then verse 28 to 30. And let's pray that God will open our hearts to the word that we read. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we read about the crucifixion and what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we pray that you'll open our hearts, um, that our lives can be changed through Jesus' death. In his name we pray. Amen. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realise I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. Here they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And then from verse 28, later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine and vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Um, Carl's going to bring us a message today. So, Thanks. 
Well, good morning. Uh, if you're visiting here this morning, a special welcome to you, and uh, it's great to have you joining us uh, on this Good Friday as we think about the crucifixion of Jesus uh, 2,000 years ago. Not quite that long ago, uh, not quite 2,000 years ago, but on the 22nd of June in 1893, the British Mediterranean fleet, the naval fleet, was on manoeuvres near Tripoli. Uh, And it was under the command of a man named Vice Admiral uh, Trion. Now, there are 11 ships uh, in that fleet formed into two columns, uh, six on one side and five on the other, and they're steaming alongside each other. Uh, And uh, Vice Admiral uh, Trion's plan was that these ships would perform a manoeuvre where they would turn uh, inwards 180 degrees and start heading back uh, alongside each other in the other direction uh, and eventually stop and uh, and put down their anchors. Unfortunately, uh, Vice Admiral Trion made a catastrophic error in calculating the distance that was required between the two columns of ships. Uh, When the manoeuvre began, the two lead ships, HMS Victoria and HMS Camperdown, collided. Within 13 minutes, Victoria had capsized and 358 sailors drowned, including the Admiral himself. It was a catastrophic error which had catastrophic consequences. Now, a few of us would have made uh, errors on such a grand scale as that, but all of us, I think, have made mistakes of one kind or another, mistakes which we regret. You may have said something to someone that you wished that you hadn't said. You may have taken something from someone that you wished you hadn't taken. Uh, I have this terrible condition which a friend of mine once described as buyer's remorse, uh, which means that every time I buy something, uh, the next day I have horrible regret and remorse and I think to myself, why did I buy that? That was such a silly thing to do. And often that's entirely justified. But, I mean, that's a silly regret, isn't it? But many of us live not only with silly regrets but with painful regrets as well. Painful errors, painful mistakes, things that we've done that we wished we hadn't, things that we've done which we can't take back. But arguably, as bad as our errors might be, arguably the greatest error ever made in the history of humankind is what happened to Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross when people like you and me put Jesus to death. The error was not simply that they put an innocent man to death, though certainly they did that. Pilate said in that passage that Ed read for us, Pilate said, I find no basis for a charge against him. And yet they still crucified him. The magnitude of what they did, the the great error that they made, becomes clear in what the crowd went on to say in response to to Pilate's uh, uh, suggestion that that Jesus was innocent The people say, we have a law and according to the law he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. They were referring to the law about blasphemy. Jesus had blasphemed, they thought, by claiming to be the son of God and anyone who claimed to be the son of God needed to be put to death. Of course, the great tragedy is is that that law only holds, that law of blasphemy holds only if what Jesus said was untrue. The law would only count if what Jesus was saying was a lie. 
Jesus did claim to be the Son of God. And if that was a lie, then he should have been put to death. But the people never considered, not even for for the briefest moment, that maybe what he was saying was true. Maybe Jesus really was the Son of God. We saw in that video, didn't we, uh, that, that animation uh, that as Jesus died there was that Roman centurion, the Gospel of Mark records, that Roman centurion who, who when Jesus died said, surely this man was the Son of God. And God proved that Jesus was really the Son of God when he raised him from the dead three days later in accordance with what the prophets had promised hundreds of years before. But the question really uh, that, that, that that catastrophe puts before us is how do you come back from that? How do you come back from putting the Son of God to death? I mean, it's not like saying, saying something nasty to someone that you regret. It's not like you know, the other kinds of mistakes that we might make. How do you come back from putting the Son of God to death? Crucifying him for being who he was. How do you come back from that? How do you make up for that? Now, we might think that uh, that, that doesn't really affect us because... All that, that, all that happened happened 2,000 years ago. But the truth is, is, is that what happened 2,000 years ago on that first Good Friday when Jesus was crucified is symptomatic of what all of us do every single day of the week. They just played out in history what we do in our hearts every single day and that is we put Jesus to death. Every single one of us is guilty of crucifying Jesus, maybe not in fact, but in our hearts. We try to put God to death by metaphorically, uh, we try to put God to death metaphorically by speaking, uh, by denying, sorry, that he exists. We, We try to put God to death by ignoring him. We try to put God to death by following our own hearts rather than living as God wants us to live. We try to put God to death by making ourselves king rather than following Jesus, God's king. We try to put God to death by thinking that we can live without God and by failing to realise that every breath that we take, every beat of our heart is a gift from God. You see, every single one of us puts God to death every day. We don't really, we try to. We try to put God to death, ironically, because God is who he is. We we resent God because he is who he is. That is the God of heaven and earth. And we want to be God. How do we come back from that? How do you come back from that? From resenting God, from trying to crucify God's son Jesus. Suppose that, uh, that I hated your interference in my life uh, so much that I tried to kill you. Not a very nice thought. But imagine that I was unsuccessful. What would that do to our relationship, do you think? You know, do you think you could just kind of, sorry about that, you know, just kind of move on with life? You know, an apology doesn't cut it, does it? when you try and kill someone, when you hate someone so much, that's what you do. And it's the same in our relationship with God. We can't just say, I'm sorry God, whoops. 
We killed your son. We tried to put you to death. No, that doesn't cut it. It takes more than that. The damage has been done. Our world has been decimated by our rejection of God. Our lives have been decimated by our rejection of God. God's son has been decimated by our rejection of God. How do you and I come back from that? How can that ever, our relationship with God ever be restored? The amazing thing is that God in his great wisdom and in the greatest irony in human history, God in his great wisdom determined that the very way that we come back to God is through that greatest error in human history. It's through the death of Jesus itself the most devastating, the most terrible act of human rebellion against God in all of human history is also the source of God's mercy and God's grace. Listen to these words from from Acts chapter 4. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your servant Jesus. Do you see what those people are saying? They're saying, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the people, they conspired to kill Jesus. They did kill Jesus. But it's not as though they caught God off guard. They just did what God had determined beforehand should happen. It was God's plan that they put Jesus to death. And then what do the people go on and say? They pray that God would heal the people in the name of Jesus, the Jesus that they put to death. Listen to these words from Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. He suffered our sorrows, our infirmities, the consequences of our sins. He was smitten not simply by people who crucified him on a cross, but he was smitten by God, by God himself. He was crushed for our evil by God. He was punished for our sin and he brought us peace. Again, in Isaiah 53, we read, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. It was God's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. God caused Jesus to suffer so that we might be declared not guilty. The debt has been paid and we are free from the punishment of sin if we trust in Jesus Christ. John Stott describes it like this. This I think it's a wonderful way of putting it. John Stott says, The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. It's a complete reversal. We try and take God's place and we put him to death and God in his great mercy substitutes himself for our sake.
Every one of us has made countless mistakes in our lives, things that we wish we could take back, but no mistake is greater than this, that we try to live without God, that we try to kill God, that we try to kill his son Jesus Christ and there's only one way back by calling out to God that he would have mercy on us and forgive us through Jesus who died in our place. Let me pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, our lives are, are, are so mucked up often, Lord, it's not hard to look back in our past and, and find things that we deeply regret and that we wish that we'd never done. Uh, and yet, Lord, so often we fail to, to realise the, that the greatest error in our lives, the greatest catastrophe, is that we've ignored you and sinned against you, that we've tried to live without you, that we have uh, ignored the king that you have set over us, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to come before you and bow in humility and pray that you would forgive us. Lord, not because uh, we say sorry, but because Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he took the punishment and the wrath that we deserved and through his death, we have been reconciled to you. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to trust that, to believe that, to turn from our rebellion against you and to follow Jesus. Father, we ask it for your great name's sake. Amen.